Lord, we are thankful today that your blood is able to cover a multitude of our sins. And as good as we think we might be, as many good things as we think we might be able to do, we are never able to do enough to repay the debt that we owed. But thanks be to God that your son Jesus paid it all. And that because of his death for us, we can have eternal life today. Thank you for this reminder today as we've worshipped of how you have provided our salvation. As we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would challenge us from it. I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to push back against our faith so that we can leave here today knowing that our faith is not futile but that it is indeed anchored in the most important thing in which we can anchor it, Jesus Christ. It's in his good name we pray, amen and amen. If you've got your copy of God's Word, let's open up together to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning as we read part of this chapter and think through. For a little while, I want to share a message with you that I have simply titled, Futile Faith. Just futile faith. And, and I hope that we'll see uh, the rationale behind that as we move along quickly this morning through our text. There is a popular notion out there that uh, goes along these lines. As long as you believe in something, as long as you have faith in something, that's the most important thing. And it doesn't really matter what you have faith in. God is just really concerned that you believe in something. Now, the problem with that notion is that it's simply not true, because the reality is that it's not so much that we have faith as it is in what we have faith. The object of our faith is so much more important than the fact that we have faith. Even as James tells us, the, the demons believe they have some kind of faith and shudder. And, and we certainly want to have more than a demon-like faith. And so as we think this morning about feudal faith, we want to understand that it is entirely possible for us today to have faith, but to have it in the wrong person or in the wrong place. Your faith can be futile. It can be ineffective. It can be useless. It can be worthless. The object of your faith is more important than the fact that you have faith. We know this is entirely possible because of examples that we see in Scripture and also because of a specific example we will see in the book of Acts from uh, the life of a man called Simon, who some people call him Simon the Magician. We're going to see from his life what it looks like to have futile faith so we can leave here today making sure none of us in this room have that kind of feudal faith. But before we get there, we want to remember that, that last week we were introduced to Stephen, who was just an ordinary common man who had some very uncommon commitments, and he was killed because of his faith in Jesus. His faith was certainly not feudal. It was very real. He was killed for that faith because he would not stop speaking about Jesus, and his death 
sparked an outbreak of persecution against Christians. Let's look in Acts chapter 8. Ladies, if y'all wouldn't mind getting settled, would you please get settled? Thank you. Because you're going to make my sermon go a lot longer every time you move. And these people want to get out of here. Acts chapter 8. Let's see how it opens up. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in this city. And the reason I want us to notice this before we jump into Simon's narrative is that this is the first time that the gospel has left Jerusalem. Up until this point, the gospel has remained in this one city. But now it's going beyond this city for the very first time, and it was not an apostle who took it there. Notice verse 1 told us that the apostles remained in Jerusalem. Everyone else began to carry this message elsewhere. So the first time the gospel goes beyond Jerusalem is because of normal people, not apostles. The church grows not by the preaching of a few apostles, but when every believer who is filled with the Spirit testifies of the gospel where they are. I know you saw that testimony earlier today. That was not an apostle who gave that testimony. That was a follower of Jesus who was filled with the Holy Spirit and who was going to share the gospel wherever God placed her. And that is the example for us. That's the example in the book of Acts. This theme is repeated over and over and over again. And then we're introduced to Simon. Simon is a warning to us that not everyone who believes is a true follower of Jesus. You see, it's possible to believe in the sense of giving mental assent to who Jesus is without trusting in the work of Jesus for you on the cross and trusting in him for your salvation. Let's look at Simon's story as it picks up in in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of the, to the least of the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. 
Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who these two apostles came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Did you notice how it said in verse 13 that Simon believed, that Simon was baptized, that Simon even followed after Philip? You see, Simon had faith, but his faith was futile. Simon believed in his head that Jesus was who Philip said he was, but Simon's faith, don't miss this, Simon's faith never moved beyond his head to his heart. True faith will always involve the intellect, but true faith must move beyond what you think to who you trust. And faith that doesn't make that move is futile faith. So let's allow Simon's life to be a warning to us regarding our faith. Let's use what the Word says about Simon as a mirror so that we can accurately see what kind of faith we possess. Why? Here's why it's important. Because a futile faith, no matter how sincere it is, a futile faith is not a saving faith. And we want to have a saving faith. Faith. Let me mention to you briefly this morning three characteristics of futile faith from the life of Simon. First is this futile faith has an incorrect view of self. Futile faith has an incorrect view of self. I want you to notice how how Simon viewed himself and and how his view of himself shows us that his faith was futile. Simon, for example, thought he was good. Verse 9 tells us that there was a man named Simon who previously practiced magic in the city. He amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. Anybody know somebody like that? (laughs) You know somebody who thinks they're all out in a bag of chips too, and they're really not? Well, Simon thought that he was pretty good. In fact, Simon thought that he might be at least somewhere close to being equal with God because verse 10 tells us that uh, the people paid attention to him saying, this man is the power, not some power of God, but he is the power of God that is called great. So there was some thought that he thought maybe he was at least somewhat equal to God, but he thought he was good because of what he did. Verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long 
long time he had amazed them with his magic. So, so look at Simon's profile. Look at how he views himself. He thinks that he's, he's basically good, and he thinks that he is, is somewhat like God or maybe equal to God, and he thought he had this goodness because of the things that he did. Many people today have the very same perspective. In fact, there might even be someone sitting in this room that has that perspective, that has the wrong view of self. Some people believe that they're basically good. Some people would then say, you know, because I'm basically good, I don't really need God. If I'm basically good and my goodness is better or more acceptable than that of other sinners, you ever notice how if you want to feel good about yourself, you always compare yourself to someone who has bigger sins than you do? Anybody, anybody do that? Okay, rest of you lying through your teeth right now. And then there are those who, who believe they can become good enough if they do enough good things. The problem with these perspectives is that they are all contrary to what God reveals about the people that he created. Scripture reveals our true nature and life reinforces it. Oh, think about that line. <clears throat> well, I'm basically good. No, the truth is apart from God, there is nothing good about us. The prophet Isaiah tells us that we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garbage that even on our best day compared to somebody else, yeah, we might look better than they do. We might look gooder than they do. But compared to God, we are not good. Well, I, I think that, that since I'm basically good, I don't really need God. No, the truth is that we desperately need God. In, in fact, God is our only hope. John tells us in 1 John 5, 4, that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith that the only way that we are able to, to have victory is through God. We can only be good in the sense that we have God's goodness given to us. Or, or people will say, well, I'm okay as long as I do more good than I do bad. But the truth is there's nothing, nothing we can ever do that will make us good enough to earn God's favor. You with me? Okay, three people are, I can go a lot longer. I can go into chapter nine if I need to. What's Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 2? He tells us it's through grace that we are saved. It's not us. See, what Scripture tells us about the view of self is that we are totally depraved. And here's what that means. That means that because of our sin, our relationship with God is broken and everything about us is polluted and spoiled and rotten. And as a result of that, we cannot do anything, even good things to gain God's favor. Oh yeah, we can do good things and make good choices, but doing that does nothing to save us from our fallen nature. The only hope we have to be saved from our sin and from ourselves is Jesus Christ. That's it. Simon's faith had no room for that reality, which made his faith futile. It'll make your faith futile as well.
an incorrect view of self, but also Simon reveals to us that futile faith has an incorrect view of sin. You say flawed perspective of self will always lead to a flawed view of sin. Peter and John travel down to Samaria. They want to see firsthand all that's happening. Simon says, man, I like that Holy Spirit stuff. In fact, they don't have it to Walmart here in Jerusalem, or Samaria rather. So uh, I wonder if I can just buy some from the apostles. He offers some money to buy this power of the Holy Spirit, and, and Peter rebukes him. And when Peter rebuked him, it shows us the flawed view of sin that Simon had. See, Simon failed to see that sin was a heart issue. That's why in verse 20, 29, Peter has to tell him, your heart is not right before God. Simon knew the truth, but he did not embrace the God of truth. My goal today is not to have you confused in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but I do want you to know this. I'm pretty sure I've never been to, I've been in some business meetings in past churches. I thought I was close to hell, but I've never been to hell itself. Not here, past churches. But I would venture to say that hell is full of people who have a lot of information about the Bible. I'd venture to say that hell has some deacons in it, has some choir members in it, has some pastors in it who had a lot of head knowledge but not a heart experience with Jesus. In fact, I know what Jesus said is that many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many mighty works. God, didn't we do all this stuff for you? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. That's what he said to Simon. Because for Simon, his sin was a heart issue and he failed to recognize it as such. I want to ask you this morning, has Jesus changed your heart? Has he changed your affection? Has he transformed your passion? Sin is not a matter of what you know or don't know. Sin is a matter of who is at the very center of your life. Simon failed to see sin as a heart issue, and Simon failed then to repent. Because Peter has to call him, in verse 22, to repentance. And the fact that Peter had to call him to repentance indicates that he hadn't had yet to truly repent. Jesus had some strong language about repentance. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance occurs when the attitude of our heart is changed by God. When we turn away from serving self and we turn away from seeking self and we have God at the center of our affection. Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you asked God to change the attitude of your heart away from sin so you can seek him first? Simon failed to repent. 
But Simon also failed to take responsibility for his sin. Did you see what he did in verse 24? <laughs> Peter calls him to repentance, and Simon says, Well, Peter, why don't you just do this for me? <laughs> he says, Well, you pray to the Lord for me, Peter, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. I mean, Peter just told him in verse 23, You're in the bond of iniquity, you're in sin. And Simon says, Won't you handle it for me? Simon felt a true conviction from the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't willing to humble his heart before God. He wasn't willing to accept responsibility for his sin. He wasn't willing to seek forgiveness. You see, Peter could not forgive Simon's sin because it was not Peter against whom Simon sinned. You are not going to heaven because your mama or your daddy or your grandma or your grandpa or your aunt your uncle or your family believed in Jesus. You're going to heaven based on your relationship with Jesus. You, you will not stand before me at the end of time, and I ain't standing before you to give an account for my life. I'm standing before Jesus because he is the one against whom I have sinned. I have to take responsibility for my sin. But Simon's reaction to the sin in his life shows us that his faith was futile. How are you going to react to the sin in your life? Now, I know at this point we are not really treading on Hallmark greeting card territory. We've taken the wrong view of our, ourself and our sin, but... We will also understand that Simon had a wrong view of his salvation and find some hope in this, even though his perspective was flawed. It appears from reading the text that we read that Simon believed in Jesus, not just Jesus. Simon believed that Jesus was the Christ, but Here's what Simon wanted. Simon wanted a Jesus plus gospel. Simon wanted to have Jesus plus his magic ministry. Ministry. Simon wanted to have Jesus plus a platform. If I can get in with these guys, I can get in front of some folks. Simon wanted Jesus plus some money. So much he's willing to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanted Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that. That's still true today. People who possess a futile faith have a Jesus plus faith. I'll follow whatever Jesus says. I'll allow him to influence my life, but I reserve the right to exempt out of a few things that I don't like, that I don't want to believe, or that I don't want to do. I'll take Jesus as long as I can have fill in the blank. And people think, watch me, people think that if I give 99% of control to Jesus, that that's going to be enough. But listen, think about the logic of that. If you are 99% committed to Jesus, you're still 100% in control because you get to pick what 99% you commit to Jesus, and you get to pick what 1% is for yourself. <laughs> so it's either all or it is 
nothing. That's not saving faith. That is futile faith. You have either given Jesus full control of your life or you've not given him any control of your life. True faith comes from the true gospel and the true gospel demands everything. When Jesus told his followers to take up their cross, he meant that his followers must put to death everything that would prevent them from making a full commitment to Jesus. Simon wanted Jesus in his life, but he didn't want to give up full control to Jesus. See, at the crux of what Simon was looking at for his salvation was the external. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Can I buy this? Can I do this? Can I follow enough when in reality, what salvation is, as we saw witnessed in baptism this morning, salvation is an internal experience that is revealed in external actions. This morning in, in the connection group that I teach of, of, of young adults, and we were talking in the book of Hebrews, and, and we mentioned how that in the Old Testament, when they built the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, all the pieces of furniture that they built. They built the table, they built the lampstand, they built all these things. The one piece, of, one piece of furniture they did not complete was a chair. Because for the Old Testament high priest, he never sat down. All he did all day is he stood behind that altar and he slit the throat of those sacrifices. Every day, all day, that's all he did. He never sat down until Jesus, our high priest, entered the scene. And Jesus, not just making the sacrifice for our sin, Jesus Christ being the sacrifice of our sin, having offered that purification, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, after making purification for our sins, guess what Jesus did? He sat down because the work was finished. Have you surrendered your sin to Jesus? Have you surrendered yourself to Jesus? Because when you do, he transforms everything. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Just having faith isn't enough. The object of your faith is more important than the fact that you have faith. So I want to ask you this morning, what kind of faith do you have? How do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as someone who's good, trying to do enough good things? That's just, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. You'll never do enough good to repay the debt you owe. And the good news is you don't have to. Jesus paid it all. He did it all so that you could readily admit to him, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Yes, Lord, there is nothing good about me. Yes, Lord, I may try to do good to earn your favor, but I, really, I can't earn it. But you did it for me, Jesus. How do you view your sin? 
Have you taken responsibility for it? You will stand before God one day and answer for it if you haven't allowed Jesus to answer for you. What's your view of salvation? Are you trying to achieve it? You'll never achieve it. But I've got some good news for you today. You can't receive it. You can't receive it. As in the best way you know how you confess your sins to God, you repent and you place your faith in what Jesus has done for you. In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. This is our time of commitment for whatever God's placed upon your heart, whatever step you might need to take. This is a time for you to do business with God. If you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we'd love to help answer those questions. If you have questions about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about that. Whatever your next step is, if you would just take that step, put your yes on the table, and leave here today with a faith that is worth something, a faith that is central to your eternal life, and a faith that will sustain you in this temporary one. Father God, how I thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. How I thank you that there's nothing left for us to do except to put our, put our trust and our faith in what Jesus has already done. So Father, we give this time to you now. We pray that you would have your will and your way in each of our lives. It's in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand.